This is Methods of the Madness on KALX Berkeley 90.7 FM, University and Listener Supported Radio. My name is Ali Nazar, and today we have Glenn Tripp, the founder of Galileo Learning, with us. Hello, Glenn. Hi, it's great to be here. Hey, thanks for joining us. So, um, we like to start off the program with talking about um, kind of the problem statement. So, you started this organization, but kind of what was the problem statement you saw when you started it? Well, we got this all started back in the fall of 2001, and right about that time is when the No Child Left Behind legislation passed, which was going to have the effect of focusing schools more narrowly on core academic subjects. And yet, at the same time, the first 30 years of my life had shown me that what seemed to really matter in organizations and in personal fulfillment was the idea of being creative and innovative in our lives. And so it seemed like there was an opportunity to try to create some sort of program that would really embrace the importance of creativity and innovation. And as schools were starting to focus more narrowly on core subjects, I thought, hey, people care about art, people care about engineering and science education, and maybe I could provide that sort of thing under one roof in the summertime. Okay. So um, tell us about your past. So you say that in, you, know, you, you understood the power of creativity and mm-hmm. innovation. Uh, how, where did that come from? Well, you know, I, I graduated from Stanford back in 1992, and I went into management consulting for a couple years and moved on after I got um, some great experience there and worked for a different education organization that ran after-school programs. And both of those organizations were sort of fast-moving, early-stage organizations where I got to see the power of creative problem-solving and the power of group collaboration and innovation. And it seemed like the people that were having the most success were those who were able to find an opportunity or see something that uh, was a way that the company could improve or move forward and really make contributions there. And so that seemed to be more powerful in some ways than some of the core academic work that I had done. So I just thought, gosh, it would be great if we could have an educational program that really emphasized those things more. Did you have a... um can you see a common thread between the people who were able to kind of innovate and the people that had to kind of follow those people? Well, the uh, the thing that stood out the most to me was that one group of people saw themselves as actors in the world. You know, not, and then there was another group of people who seemed to be more recipients of what the world would provide to them. And I know that as a parent and As a citizen, I think what I want for all kids is for them to grow up and feel like they can be actors in the world and imagine a life for themselves and um, create a vision for themselves and then go out and turn that vision into reality. And that seemed to be a core differentiator between different types of people. Okay. So so you you came up with the idea. Yep. Right? And it sounds like you kind of saw – you were working with another camp. Is that right? Did I hear you say that? Um, I was working for an after-school educational program company for about seven years. And um, that particular organization was focused on teaching core academic subjects like math and language arts. And so this was a change for me. This was a chance to really delve into more creative things and and offer that up to kids. Well, it's really exciting because you wanted to create an environment for innovation and creativity but it takes a lot of innovation and creativity to create that environment. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I've had a lot of entrepreneurs and founders of organizations and nonprofits on the show. And one of the things I'm always fascinated about is to kind of get into 
the process of how you take the leap from having a nice steady paycheck and a job and you have this idea and then you kind of have to take this this leap of faith. So mm-hmm. can you t- walk us through that process? How did you decide to do that? Because I think it's very um, appropriate for you know the people that you're trying to train too is that you have to mm-hmm. have a leap of faith that you want to take if you're an innovator. So how did you do that? Yeah, it, it definitely was a, a big change because I was part of a rapidly growing and successful organization. And, you know, around 2001, when I moved on from that organization, I was newly married, had been married a year. My um, wife and I um, decided to have kids and, and my wife was pregnant at the time when I got Galileo started. So here we were in our in our new home and our new life together. And I wanted to go off and do this thing that was seemed a little bit risky. And so one of the things that was really great about that time is that my wife was super supportive of this idea. And, and we, we kind of agreed together that whatever leap that we would take, wherever we landed, it would be fine, that we would work through it and get to the, whatever was next. And so um, I just started to reach out to people who might be interested in this idea. And I found a couple friends who were very supportive of, of the concept. And I went down and I had a, a meeting with an organization called Klutz, which is a book publisher based out of Palo Alto, fantastic organization, and got some ideas from them. And then I went and I met with the Tech Museum of Innovation down in San Jose with the education team. And uh, they were very supportive of the idea and said that they would be willing to contribute some um, curriculum and some support uh, to getting the program started. And so, you know, one by one, we started to just line up friends and fellow uh, advocates for this kind of education. And that led us to finding a a place to start the first camp in Palo Alto. And uh, before we knew it, we had created a brochure and started putting it out there in the community. And the 1-800 line rang to my home. And uh, before we knew it, the program was full for that summer. We had 264 kids sign up, and so we felt like we'd really hit on something that was interesting to people. What year was that? This is in the summer of 2002 that we started the first program. Okay. So, um, and what was your pitch to, like, when you went to the Tech Museum of Innovation? I mean, what were you telling them you wanted to do? Well, what I said is I, that I wanted to create a program that would bring design challenge learning to a summer program, that we wanted to bring kids together and create a really fun, joy-filled learning community where we would pose engineering challenges to kids, where we would introduce them to artists and art movements, and we would also do a lot of fun things in the outdoors. And would the Tech Museum be interested in spreading its mission beyond its museum walls? Because I think that's what we represented for them, a chance to take some of the important approaches that they had been developing there and to do them in more communities. And they got really excited about it, and they actually you know, were, were willing to put their brand on the program. So that one of the things I think that helped us initially was that in our very first brochure, the Tech Museum and Klutz both had agreed to put their names on the program as, as co-creators of the program. And that really helped us out. <clears throat> That's very helpful because they have a pretty good name, and right. especially in Palo Alto and – yeah, both of those organizations were very well respected in Palo Alto, so I think that that was one of the things that gave us credibility out of the box. And that's people were interested in coming to a program that uh, 
offered the you know a museum quality experience in their neighborhood school. Now, is is the program an overnight program or is this a day program? These are all day programs, and they now operate in thirty eight different communities around the Bay Area. So. We tend to work with uh, either public school districts or independent schools and transform their campuses into, um, you know, very creative spaces that uh, come to life in a, in, a, in a week-to-week basis. So kids tend to come for a week at a time. Many of them come for three or four weeks each summer. And the programs tend to run for about eight or eight or nine weeks at the different locations. Okay. Well, you're listening to Methods of the Madness on KALX Berkeley 90.7 FM, and we're speaking with Glenn Tripp, the founder of Galileo Learning. And so, Glenn, when you um, started that, you had the 260 or so kids at the mm-hmm. first camp. How did you come up with the curriculum? How do you how do you create that from scratch? Right. And that was, I think, part of the, the amusing part of this story is we – created the name and created the brochure before we actually had the program. And that's, I think, what innovation and in, in prototyping is all about, right, is that we were sitting there and we came up with a basic proposition and we had some allies, but we didn't yet have a curriculum. And so I sat down with the – we started to hire staff for that summer. We put together a team of just 12 people, and we consulted other resources out in the community. We worked with the Tech Museum. We worked with Klutz, and we worked with other other educators out there, and we started to write the curriculum for that summer. And, um, you know, by the time June rolled around, we had a, a, nice, a nice set of uh, – um, activities and themes that we would try out with the kids. And then when we saw it in action, we knew we had gotten a lot of things right. But, of course, we learned a lot from those first weeks too. Sure. So can you give us some examples of what are the types of things the kids do at the camp? Oh, sure. Well, you know, at the elementary we, – we, first of all, we have programs for elementary school kids and we have programs for middle school kids. At the elementary school level, we choose a weekly theme like um, amusement park might be an example of something that we might do. And that's something we have going on this summer. And so um, kids, depending on their age level, will do different kinds of activities. They'll go into the science lab and they will learn how to make roller coasters or, you know, create electrical circuits to create a ride that is of their own design. In the art side, they might learn um, how to paint or draw or do sculpture related to that theme. Um, in the amusement park example, we're actually teaching them how to do graphic design so they can actually design the, um, the, how the rides might be titled or um, you know, what sort of graphics might be surrounding it. And along the way, they might learn about, for example, Alexander Calder, who did a lot of great sculpture um, examples around circuses. So you know, we try to tie together the art and the science themes in an integrated way so that um, we kind of break down those walls between science and, and art. Yeah, that's great because you know, as, a, as a math guy and a, a tech guy, I've always um, thought that there is a very um, – close correlation between art and science. And I think that's mm-hmm. not necessarily thought of in the general population of those things being, you know, very directly correlated. But if you look at a computer science problem, there's usually, you know, a hundred different ways you can mm-hmm. solve that problem. Sure. And the, the route you take is, you know, that's very artistic to me. It's, 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 it's a method it of expression. And I think one of the misconceptions uh, people often have is that creativity is about knowing how to draw or paint or, you know, maybe be in a play or something like that, when in reality, creativity um, is crucial for any kind of endeavor that you can imagine, whether or not you're developing a cure for cancer or, you know, being an accountant for a, a big company. I mean, all of these things require creative leadership. 
Sure. And it's also one of the greatest um, assets of America. You know, mm-hmm. our country mm-hmm. has always um, pushed forward because of our creative nature and our ability to innovate and and see things that maybe other people don't see. And I've always attributed that, I think, to the, the cultural mix of America, the great melting pot where you have a lot of different people with different perspectives coming together and that – a lot of creativity is born from those kind of frictions of different mm-hmm. points of view looking at each other. Mm. Um, so it's great that you have something that's really trying to be a lab to incubate that and 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 grow it, especially in the Bay Area because this is kind of the center of innovation. And right. I would think that you've gotten a lot of support from the Bay Area community over – now you've been in business for 10 years or something like this that? This is our 12th, our 12th summer coming up here and we've had – you know, over a hundred thousand kids attend our program. This summer alone, we'll have thirty-five thousand attendees. So it's it's definitely a message that people are hearing um, and responding to. I think um, from President Obama on down, there's been a big call for developing a new generation of innovators, and it's it's super crucial at a national level that we put more energy towards this. So there's been a lot of talk, but I think that there's um, there hasn't been a lot of um, movement yet in the direction of uh, restructuring school structures or curriculum to to develop more innovators and and parents themselves I think are still you know while they're perhaps intrigued by the idea of creativity and innovation it's still hard for them to let go of some of the constructs that they may have picked up from their own childhood about what education is and so um, I do hope that we can. I do hope that we can continue to find ways to build this more into our thinking about what it means to raise kids. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like there's a huge opportunity for the education system to reinvent itself with all the new technology and e-learning. Mm-hmm. I know um, there's the story about um, George Lucas stole Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, to Disney, right? And he's going to donate almost all that money to reforming education in America, mm, right? Um, yeah, and I think his organization called Edutopia is a great example of an, an organization that's really trying to encourage the use of project-based learning in schools, which is the approach that we use in our in our summer programs. Um, projects are a super compelling way for kids to learn, and um, when you you know, when you put things in the context of a compelling project, like at our camps, building a go-kart or making a film or creating a radio, you know, a radio program or whatever that might be, now you're creating a context and a purpose for kids to learn. It's not just facts for facts sakes, but you're actually teaching them concepts that are important to solving the project. And that then becomes a totally different story. Now kids are engaged and they're ready to start to take risks. So then on top of that, you layer on the need for a culture that supports risk-taking and a culture that encourages kids to believe that it's their place to imagine something that's not there and then go out and turn that into reality. It's, I think it's those two things together, the combination of powerful project-based learning and an environment or culture that supports risk-taking and breaks down fear for kids that can become such a powerful combination. Have you um, seen in the 12 years you guys have been operating, have you seen a change in the children? Because, you know, that that 12 years mm-hmm. is in terms of uh, the pace of change for humanity has been incredible in terms of things like Google and mm-hmm. Wikipedia. And these things were just getting started in 2001 or 2002, but now they're hugely powerful tools. How has that affected the children then their 
um, receptiveness to the camp and the ideas mm-hmm. you guys are giving them there? Well, I think that that it's really a tale of two cities or maybe two stories within one Bay Area city here. On, on one hand, we see that kids are less likely to want to take risks today than they were 12 years ago. And that's backed up by um, the different types of creativity research that's out there that people are becoming, or the children in particular, are becoming a, a little bit more concerned with getting the right answer to things and a little bit more nervous about engaging in open-ended design. Um, what? Why is that? Do they have uh, any, the, the the most common theories are that it's because we've create, created such an emphasis on getting the right answer in our standardized testing programs. So uh, that coupled with just general societal pressure of getting better and performing at everything that kids do, whether or not it's private baseball coaching lessons that kids get or the you know twenty to thirty days spent testing per year in the in the hundred eighty school. 180 day school year, all of those things have our kids, especially kids in kind of upper income or upper middle income neighborhoods being very focused on performance and getting the right answer and wanting to perform against external standards. While there might be some benefits to all of that, the negative side is that it, it makes kids, like kids often want to be told what to do. Um, the other dynamic that's going on is the kids are extremely scheduled and a lot of their days and, and weeks consist of being told what to do from point A to you know point B to point C each day. So when kids have less autonomy to make decisions or direct their day or figure out what they're gonna how they're gonna play, and when kids are more concerned about um, testing and the rigors of performing well in other people's eyes, it just makes them a little bit. Uh, it, it, it reduces their proclivity to take risks. At the same time, there are all these neat new tools that kids are learning how to use. So we have kids that are making films and we have kids that are building apps and we have kids who are um, participating in the Maker Fair. And there are, there are many bright spots in the story, I think, that are showing that, they're, um, that, that there are a group of kids that are really responding to the new opportunities that are out there. There's a lot going on. Yeah. So it sounds like it's kind of um, – it's really interesting because I would have thought the second part of your answer would have been more um, what I where I thought kids might be going would be mm-hmm. because of the kind of democratization of information and the ability to create. On an sure. iPad, you can mix a song or you can do so many different things and they have access to a lot of stuff. They would become – you know, more open and receptive mm-hmm. to creativity. But it, what, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Well, I think there's a tension, a tension there. And I think one of our jobs as parents and educators is to try to see how we can use all of these tools for, um, for good. <laughs> because <laughs> I know that, uh, you know, I think a lot of the ways that kids are using um, the technology is for distraction or, or entertainment, just like we as adults often do. But, boy, the amazing tools that are coming out right now um, should provide um, a lot of great opportunities for for creativity. And so I think uh, um, the key is to just figure out which of those ones are, which of those tools are most useful for creativity and, and to also teach the kids the skills that they need to do the thing. You know, it's not enough to, to give somebody a copy of iMovie and have them, you know, make a few edits, but let's really teach them how to – um, use story to express something because it's it's a combination of the tool but also the age-old needs that we have is to tell a story and so um, the opportunities are there and there's a lot of great things percolating i mentioned the maker fair and there's young maker groups sprouting out around 
sprouting up around the Bay Area, which is really exciting. There's Lego Robotics Leagues now that didn't used to exist. Um, there's code.org that recently launched and is trying to get kids excited about coding and has all sorts of great online resources. There's a new group called Hacker Scouts that's recently been formed that is creating guilds of young makers all around the Bay Area and beyond. There's a new website called DIY.org, which offers great um, ways for kids to learn new skills online and create community with other kids. So, so many great new things are emerging. And, um, and, and of course, there's all programs like Galileo that I think are also meeting that need. So I think it is an exciting time for innovation. There is a movement brewing. It's going to take some work. Yeah, well, you're listening to Methods of the Madness, a show dedicated to the innovative spirit of the Bay Area on KALX Berkeley, 90.7 FM. And we're sitting here talking to the founder of Galileo Learning. This is Glenn Tripp. And uh, my name is Ali Nazar. And I wanted to ask you, Glenn, so operationally, it's an interesting meth, um, model because um, you have kind of a seasonal type of mm-hmm. operation where you have to recruit and create this massive thing it's about thirty-five thousand kids this summer mm-hmm. so tell us about the challenges of that how do you what's the staff side how do you make that happen right well i think that the thing that's most i mean i always like to think that galileo has two parts of its secret sauce the first being a, a serious curriculum development effort that that invests hundreds of thousands of dollars every year developing um, new and fresh curriculum related to this purpose but um, but what parents tell us more frequently and most of all is that the staff that we hire are passionate and enthusiastic, engaged, and highly you know highly motivated, intelligent people. And um, so I think the thing that we're probably have developed the greatest competencies around is how to attract and select and then support an incredible staff. I mean, this summer we will have 1,100 staff members, um, half of whom are college graduates, professional educators who are leading the instruction, the other half of whom are um, college students who support the instruction and provide the um, group leadership and management for the kids. And and that's one of the things we wanted to do differently when we started this program was, you know, since so many day camps are run by high school students and college students, we wanted to up the ante and involve professional educators who really buy into our, our message and who can bring their skilled instruction to achieving this outcome with kids. So, yeah, so every year we mount this massive effort to bring on 1,100 or more people into the system. Fortunately, we retain a very high percentage of the last year's group, but reaching out to college campuses and to schools and to museums and to all sorts of you know, organizations is a big part of what we do every year. I think the thing that attracts people to working for Gala and the thing that keeps them coming back is that we, one, are really high integrity about our mission, and two, from the moment they become part of our organization, we're very, very interested in how we can support their professional development. So everybody who comes in is viewing this as an opportunity to become a better educator, and they get supported every step of the way. So um, we really take the whole leadership and team development part really seriously, as, and, and I think that's why we have so many applicants. Okay, great. So um, you know, getting back to the kids, can you um, can you give any kind of of your favorite stories or examples of, you know, projects or something that came out that you were blown away with what the kids came up with? Yeah, I, just last summer um, we introduced 
what we call go-karts extreme for our middle school students. We have one week of go-karts where the kids build um, uh, a go-kart as a sort of start. So they start with wood and drivetrain and wheels, and they, over the course of their week, build a, build a go-kart from scratch. And it's pretty challenging. It takes a lot of hard work. There's a lot of drilling. There's a lot of sawing. There's a lot of painting. There's a lot of sanding. There's a lot of design work. And um, in the end, they get to ride around in their go-kart, which is something that I really love. Now, last year, we added a program called Extreme Go-Karts, where they could bring their go-karts back and take them to the next level. And that was super fun to see because at that point, the kids are more competent with their tools. They have more confidence about the whole workshop environment. And then I started to see girls and boys who were turning their go-karts into convertibles. I saw kids adding drink, you know, uh, cup holders. I saw kids adding special trunks that could open and close. And my favorite thing is watching kids add sound systems to their go-karts. They actually created ways that they could plug in their iPods and play them as they rode around in their, in their go-karts. And when you see uh, a girl go from not having ever handled a, an electric drill to, you know, drilling in and designing her whole sound system on the go-kart, that's a pretty incredible thing to see. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. what, what music was she playing? This Calyx, so we have to ask. No, I'm just joking. So, yeah. um, all right. So and now that you've been around for 12 years, do you have any um, of your of your students who have gone on and do you have any success stories that you can share mm. with us of what did, what did Galileo – do we have any – someone started – Facebook or not, not Zuckerberg? Well, I, I know that there was uh, one of our campers who um, got some uh, some press last year for developing an app um, while she was in high school that was getting some traction and selling. So that's kind of a neat little success story. We've had a number of campers grow into staff members now, which has been a really exciting thing to see. And I, I uh, often have a chance to interact with them and hear stories about how they have put their uh, the skills that they learned at camp to work in their school environment. You know, I like uh, here. There is a story of a, a high school student who um, had both camp come to us as a camper and then later worked with us as a high school intern. And, and she had started a um, a filmmaking club on campus. And the thing that she told me was that she had. Uh, been inspired by the idea that, hey, if there's not something in the world that you want to be there, let me say this another way. If you see a need, if you see, if you wish there was a filmmaking club, you don't have to just wish that there was a filmmaking club. You can actually wish that into reality if you take the steps to creating that on your campus. And she had started a filmmaking club on campus. And I thought that that was a really great example of somebody who was taking initiative and not being just reactive to what the world gives them, but being proactive in terms of creating an outcome that she wanted. And that's the, that's the kind of thing that we're hoping for, that when kids get to high school, when they get to college, that they um, see themselves as authors in the world. Great. And so I like to always kind of end on um, asking a founder like you who's seen this program start from 260 kids to 35,000 kids and, you know, such you've gotten such great traction and feedback. Um, five years from now, wh- where is Galileo going to be? Well, the first thing is we'd, we'd like to, and we've always believed that we, we really want to be deeply part of growing up in the Bay Area. 
you know, right now we have a chance to work with our kids for a few weeks each summer, and we would love to figure out ways to go deeper with them throughout the school year, whether or not that's after-school programs or weekend workshops or online communities or other things. We would really like to be more of a day-to-day part of their lives and their family lives. In the past uh, few months, I've started doing parent education workshops around these themes and, for example, just got to do one last night in Saratoga where we had a couple hundred parents who were very interested in the idea of how they can nurture creativity at home. I would like to see us support this kind of learning at home as well. So that's that's our first goal is to just keep getting better and better here in the Bay Area and fulfill our vision of, of trying to uh, um, really have the kind of deep impact that we want to have on the kids that we work with. Along the way, we'll decide if there are other metro areas that um, we think that this could work in, and, and we'll consider that. But my number one goal is to really create an institution that is respected here in the Bay Area and that um, will go on and on long after I'm involved with it. So, Oh, great. That's actually, uh, interestingly enough, that's a lot of the, the founders' same mentality is, I want to create something that is bigger than me, mm-hmm. and it goes on forever. So sounds like you're well on your way, so congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, for the people listening, how can they get involved and how can they learn more? Great. Well, probably the easiest way is to go to our website, which is www.galileo-camps.com, and that has information on both jobs that might be available for the summer um, or year-round jobs. We're always hiring, and it also has information on the camps themselves for any parents out there that are interested in nurturing creativity in their kids. Okay, well, thanks, Glenn. And this has been Method to the Madness on KALX Berkeley. You can check us out at org. And thanks for joining, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you.